morning, church. So glad that you're here. Would you take your copy of God's Word and turn in the book of Romans to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And I want to remind you, you need to follow along in your copy of God's Word because you need to make sure that what the preacher is, is saying is true. You want to test what I say up against the written Word of, of God that you have there in the Bible. So whether it's a physical copy, as I have in my hand, or whether you use your phone or your iPad, if, if you don't have a Bible on your electronic device and you want to find that, just go to the search bar. And in the Google search bar, just type Romans 8 colon 12 and that'll take you right to where uh, we want to be today and, and we look forward to opening God's word as we continue this series called brand new me there are few things in our Christian faith that are more misunderstood than the reality and the role of the Holy Spirit of God when I think about the Holy Spirit, I'm reminded that it's possible to appreciate the reality that something exists and yet be very confused about its purpose in our lives. I think about these four brothers that wanted to celebrate their mother. Anytime I hear a story about four boys, it just kind of makes me happy because we have four boys. These four boys had all grown up. Their mother was now elderly. They were successful in life. They had done very well. The time was coming for their mother's birthday celebration, and they each wanted to do something special, and truth be known, they all wanted to outdo the other. So one son, he decided that for her birthday, he was going to give her a brand new house. I mean, just think about that. A brand new big house. So that's what he did. Uh, another son... He uh, wanted to, to give her transportation wherever she wanted to go. So he went down to the Mercedes dealership and he brought her a brand new Mercedes. He picked out the best he could find and had it delivered to her house. I mean, that's just what he did. Uh, another son wanted to, to make sure she had the best entertainment available to her. So there next to her house, he built her a 50-person movie theater so that she could invite all of her friends and they could watch their favorite movies together. The final son, well, he had some challenges. But he knew that his mother loved to read her Bible. But she was growing old and her eyesight had dimmed. She couldn't really see the pages of Scripture. And so he heard about this preacher who had a parrot who could recite every verse in the Bible. So we went to talk to the preacher, and sure, and sure enough, the, the parrot was for sale. It was very expensive, though, because the preacher told them that it had taken 12 different preachers 20 years to train this parrot to recite every verse in the Bible. So the preacher said, it's going to cost you. You're going to have to give a gift to my church every year for 20 years. You've got to give $100,000. The son thought, wow, that's a lot. But my mama, she's worth it. This is going to be a great gift. So they all gave their mother the gifts. The time came. She celebrated her birthday, and she sat down to write her thank you notes. To the first son, she, she said, Milton, I, I just want to thank you for the house that you built. It was huge. But you know, I live just in one room. 
I never go in the rest of it, but I have to clean it all. Thanks a lot. <laughs> then she looked at her other son, Marvin. She wrote the note. Marvin, I'm, I'm too old to travel. I don't go anywhere. I don't leave the house. In fact, I have my groceries delivered. But I guess that car was a nice thought. Thanks so much. To Michael, she wrote, Michael, you gave me that expensive theater with Dolby surround sound. I'm sure it's incredible. 50 seats? But all my friends are dead. I don't have anybody to watch a movie with. And then she wrote to her son, Melvin. She said, Melvin, I love you so much. You're the only son who gave me a practical gift. It was so thoughtful. I'm so thankful. Thank you so much for that chicken. It was really good. <laughs> See, it, it's her eyesight. It's possible. It's possible to appreciate something and yet be very confused about its purpose. And I really think that's where many in the church are when it comes to the Holy Spirit of God. And so today we're going to talk about life in the Spirit. What does it look like when we live life in the Spirit of God? So we're in Romans chapter 8, perhaps the greatest chapter in all the Bible. In fact, we said that it starts with no condemnation. Let's read Romans 8 verse 1 aloud together. It's so good. Let's read this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Say no condemnation. No condemnation. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation in you. Isn't that great, church? Would you just give God praise? It starts with no condemnation, but it ends with no separation. Listen to this, Romans 8, 38. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No condemnation, no separation. But we still have to live life on this side of heaven. And sometimes it's hard. So all that's sandwiched between those epic biblical truths of no condemnation and, and no separation is how we live out the Christ life. And Paul begins by telling us how we do that living in the Spirit of God. So what we're going to talk about, beginning of verse 12, but before we read the scriptures, let's pray once more. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, speak. We're listening. Let our ears, our heart, our mind be receptive. God, I pray that you would free us from distractions, from that next item on our to-do list. God, we declare if we're going to get that which only you can give, it's going to take an effort on our part to hear from you. So work in this moment in ways that only you can work. 
changing us, shaping us, molding us more and more into your image. Lord, someone who will hear these words needs that relationship with you. May that become crystal clear. Would your calling in their life result in a choice that they make to follow after you, to turn from sin and self, to trust in what you've done on the cross, Jesus? Lord, for many who are followers, Lord, our our lives are not reflective of who you are. That's why we pray for restoration and relationship and revival in our hearts and minds. So, God, do it for your glory in us. Begin in me, Lord. Let the words I say and even my thoughts be pleasing to you, O God, my strength, my redeemer. And we say thank you for this. Even as I ask this in the mighty name of the one who saves, Jesus Christ, my Lord. Amen. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, and scripture keeps doing this, right? It it gives us this word that causes us to pause. Because anytime we see therefore, we have to look back and say, all right, now why is that there? What is it there for? And just before this passage of scripture, we, we've had some pretty major things that we've been told. We've been told that God is living in us if we are in Christ. Don't miss that. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are living in Jesus, then God is living in you. The spirit of God indwells you. In fact, in verse 9, it's just told us that if you don't have the spirit of God living in you, then you don't belong to Christ. That's going to be important because right there, some of you have have dealt with some confusion because somebody told you that you need to pray that you would have the Spirit of God. No, if, if you're a follower of Christ, you don't get an option without the Spirit of God. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God indwells you when you begin that relationship with Him. If you do not sense as we go through this time together that the Spirit of God is living in you, then according to Scripture, you don't belong to Christ. And you don't need to pray for the Spirit. You need to pray a prayer of repentance and salvation and ask Christ to come into your life and to take control. So that's what that's there for. Therefore, in light of that truth, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. Oh, you understand what an obligation is, right? Like every month, maybe you get an obligation from Tico or from the cable company or from Netflix or or you name it. You have a responsibility. So in light of this tremendous privilege, in light of the privilege that God is living in you, you have this responsibility, this obligation. It's not to the flesh, though, to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption into sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. And the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, 
if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. May God bless the the reading of his word, which is perfect and true. I told you there's a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit. In some circles, there's even talk about whether or not the Spirit of God is a person. I would remind you that we believe Scripture teaches in the Trinity, God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The, the Spirit is not some mystical force that you just feel when you, you, you've had an emotional experience at church or, or you feel like maybe there's something that's going on in your life. No, the Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity. And the Bible, as we've said, teaches that when you begin a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God indwells you. And that's important because a recent study said that 67% of people like you, 67% of regular church attenders don't even believe that the Holy Spirit is a real living being. Scripture teaches that he is. According to Scripture, not only is the Holy Spirit real, but the Holy Spirit indwells every follower of Christ and gives us the ability to live for Christ in every aspect of our life, both on this side of eternity and he prepares us for eternity. So just on the outset, I, I would say the question that you need to ask today is not whether or not you have the Spirit of God, but this, does the Spirit of God have you? You see, that's what Paul would teach later in Philippians, that I want to take hold of that one which has taken hold of me. So has the Spirit of God indwelled you? or Are you living as a child of God? That's what I want you to think through. This passage teaches us that every follower of Jesus Christ should live their life in the Spirit of God. And so if that's the case, we need to know what that looks like, right? That's what I want to help you with today. I'm going to give you three simple things. We could give you more, but hopefully this will cover a lot of ground. First of all, when the Spirit lives in us, we have a new focus in life. What is our focus? See, some of you, as you've walked into this place, as you listen to these words, the focus of your life is to get an education, or the focus of your life is is to have a certain income, or or the focus of your life is to be in a a kind of relationship, or, or you name it, those kinds of material things are the focus of your life. It's what you want, what you desire. You're the CEO. You're making the choices. You're not in the minority, you're actually in the majority. But that's not what it means to be a follower of Christ. When I become a follower of Christ, I've resigned as the CEO. And so I'm no longer led by my desires. This passage teaches us that we're led by the Spirit of God. That's what it says in verse 14. You are led by the Spirit. So your focus becomes those things that the Holy Spirit of God wants you to do. Remember, it says you have a new obligation. You can think of it this way. You have a new motivation. I used to be motivated by what I wanted to do. I'm now motivated by what the Spirit of God wants me to do. I'm no longer led by my desires or my longings. I'm led by the Spirit of God. Say, well, Paul, what does that look like? Well, the Paul who wrote in the scriptures tells us in Galatians chapter 5. Look at these verses with me. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. So before we list these, let me explain what he's saying. If you're not being led by the Spirit, 
whether you realize it or not, it is obvious to everybody else. Other people see the outflow of what is leading your life. It's obvious to them. What does it look like? Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred. See, we just went to a different level, didn't we? Some of us were feeling pretty good because we're not involved in witchcraft or idolatry in our minds, but hatred, discord, a divisive person who, as the proverb even this morning I read, says, stirs up contention, jealousy, fits of rage, an anger problem, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, Envy, drunkenness, orgies. And then notice this phrase, and the like. (laughs) In other words, that's not the end of the list. Are you reading the mail? Do you understand what he's saying? It's obvious to others when you're doing those things that are not of God, they are ungodly, they are unholy, when that is what your life looks like, then the reality is you're not being led by the Spirit. You are being led by the flesh. And what he goes on to say is, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's the same things he said in Romans chapter 8. If you're not being led by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God is not living in you, you may be very religious. But that doesn't make you a Christian. The great theologian Bono put it this way. You know Bono. He said, religion is what takes place when the Holy Spirit has left the building So what does it look like when the Holy Spirit is indwelling you? That's what it goes on to say. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. So in other words, if you're being led by the Spirit, listen, church, if you're being led by the Spirit, those are the things that flow out of you. That's what's obvious to the people around you. And it becomes more obvious because in this world where, where the Spirit is not leading most people, you look different because most people don't look loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-control. Most people look like the first list. But if the Spirit of God is bubbling within you, if He is indwelling you, you can't help but let those things flow out of you. So those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Oh, brother and sister in Christ that profess a faith in Him, are are you being led by the Spirit? How do I I know? Okay, those are some attributes, but, but let me make it really practical. Let me give you five things that take place when we're being led by the Spirit. Number one, the Holy Spirit connects us. So um, when you were born, no matter how cute you were, and all babies are cute, but you were born a sinner separated from God. And that's because our great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, they blew it for all of us. They got kicked out of the garden. What did that mean? They were separated from God. And so ever since then, sin separates us from God. 
when we follow Christ and the Spirit of God indwells us, we are reconnected. You're connected with God. It speaks of intimacy, and Paul's going to speak of that more in a moment, so we'll move on. Number two, the Holy Spirit perfects us. Now, does that mean that we become perfect on this side of heaven? This means no. But here's what it does mean. That's what Paul says in Philippians. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to what? Complete it, which could also be said to perfect it. So the Holy Spirit's working on you, and even when you give up on yourself, he's not giving up. He's going to work in your life to make you more like Jesus. He's perfecting you. But not only that, he does that by protecting you. The Holy Spirit protects us. Now, how does that look? Well, I've got the Holy Spirit dwelling within me. So I'm about to step out and make a choice that is very damaging to my life. It's not healthy. It's not a good choice. Let me just give you some illustrations. You're married. You've been tempted for whatever reason. You're, you're about to make a choice to cheat. That is not a good choice. That's going to cause pain in your marriage, in your life, and all kinds of consequences. So if you're a follower of Christ, you may still have that temptation, but the Holy Spirit of God says, don't do it. Why? He's protecting you. The Holy Spirit protects us. And then as he protects us, he comes alongside us and the Holy Spirit corrects us. Aren't you thankful for the correction of the Holy Spirit? Because sometimes we take those steps. And we do something we shouldn't have done even though we know we shouldn't have done it. That's what Paul said, right? I do the very things I hate to do and I don't do the things I know I should love to do. And so when we do that, the Holy Spirit indwelling us says, Hey, buddy, um, that was sin. And, and you, you can't go on being in a right relationship with God and not deal with that sin. So literally the words in scripture that are used for that kind of restoration are, are, are medical term. So when he restores us, it's like resetting a broken bone. He's getting us back into right relationship by correcting that which has been broken. And then finally, the Holy Spirit directs us. He's our guide. He, he shows us he shows us how to go. He shows us where to go. You say, really? How does that work? I mean, pastor, I mean, does, does God really speak to me? Can he do that? Yeah. And in fact, there's three general ways in my life that the Holy Spirit has spoken to me when I'm, when I'm trying to make a big decision. Sometime I'm making the, the decision and, and I have a peace that this is okay. It's of God. It's kind of like the Holy Spirit's tapping me on the back and saying, pushing me along. It's okay. Go ahead. I, I call that God's go. He's saying, go ahead. Do that. I, I'm all right. You're in step with me. But I don't always feel God's go. Christ follower, have you ever sought to make a decision and, and you wanted to make a decision that honored God? You wanted it to be within his will and you started to step forward and you like, oh, I don't, this doesn't feel right. This does not feel right. What is that? That's God's no. Don't do it. Remember protection? So the Spirit of God is speaking to me, saying, don't do that. That's not a good decision. And if I'm living led by the Spirit, if I'm walking in the Spirit of God, I'm listening, and I don't do it. And then that peace resumes in my life. Sometimes, it's not God's go or God's no. Sometimes I get God's, whoa, just hold up, big boy. You're getting ahead of me. 
Someone has said the greatest way to slow things down in your life is to get ahead of God. And, and so maybe God's saying, it's not that I'm against it. It's not that I'm never going to do this. But you're pursuing this in your own strength or in your own way. And it's not of me. So maybe it's a, a, a single adult who desires to be married and that's the desire of their heart and they're seeking after God and they, they want to marry someone and, and they found someone they're attracted to and yet that person's not living a life that's parallel with theirs, walking in right relationship with God. They're not a follower of Christ and that's what the Bible would call being unequally yoked and, and so yet they want to be married. Remember, have I said that? They really want to be married and so they're being led not by the Spirit but by their desires and they step forward. And they mess things up. When sometime God would say, just wait. Remember, waiting time is not wasted time. Just wait on the Lord. Oh, I, I pray that you're listening to the Spirit of God and, and letting God speak to you. And, and let me just remind you, there are two general ways that the Spirit of God speaks to you. I, I, I read this morning um, the story of Elijah again from God's Word in 1 Kings and uh, Elijah had just had a real big victory. <laughs> and, and what I've learned is all after those moments of victory, we often get discouraged. I don't, I don't know why. It doesn't make sense. But often after you've seen something, God do something really big, you get real discouraged. So Elijah had just experienced a big victory. And you know the very next thing it says he did in the Bible? He, he went and sat down under this tree and this is what he prayed. Not, thank you, God, for the victory. Thank you for showing everybody that you're the one true God. Thank you for using me even though I'm unworthy. No, he didn't pray any of those things. He said, God, would you just kill me and let's get it over with. Just do it right now. And that's depression, isn't it? By the way, that's how you feel when you're depressed. I would, just, I would rather be dead than just go on feeling like this. And so God said, no, that's not the plan, big boy. We're going we're gonna to straighten things out. I, I want you to go. I'm going to meet you over here in this cave. So uh, Elijah goes to the cave. And this is what it says in the Bible. He was thinking that God would appear to him in some majestic way, like maybe in a big fire. And, and he knew the scripture. So he knew that Moses had followed the cloud and, and he had followed the fireball. So maybe God would appear in the fire or maybe God would show up in the earthquake as the earth trembled. But those things happened, but God was not there. And then it says that God came to him in a still, small voice. Do you know that God can still speak to you that way? He can speak to you. We call that illumination. He speaks into your life and, and says, kind of like what we said a moment ago, hey, don't do that, or hey, do this, or hold on, or maybe he just gives you a sense of his presence. But you know the number one way the Spirit of God speaks to you? I'm holding it. That's why I tell you to always have your copy of God's Word. Because when he speaks to us in those small voices, that's illumination, but it's never going to contradict what he's already given us, which is his revelation. God's not giving you new revelation. He's already revealed it all. You understand that, right? And so we've got the Bible, the perfect word of God. You say, I thought that was written by men. It was written by men. But listen to what scripture says. It was written by men of God as what? As the Holy Spirit spoke. 
So you want to see what the Spirit has to say to you? Then open the Scriptures. I was all over the scriptures this morning. I was in First uh, Kings, and, and then uh, I, I was uh, in, the, in the New Testament. I'm stalling because I'm trying to remember where I was in the New Testament this morning. That was a long time ago. I was in Philippians. I was in Philippians chapter 1. Uh, and then I, I went back to Ezekiel, which has been a long book. I've been in Ezekiel a long time. And, and then I went to the Psalms, read two chapters of Psalms, and then I went to Proverbs. And in every one of those passages, God spoke. In Kings, he reminded me of the story. I just read that this morning. And so I got to share it with you about what happened with Elijah. When I went to Philippians, I read what I just shared with you this morning. That he who began a good work in me is faithful to complete it. Then I went to Ezekiel and I just heard that thus saith the Lord, the sovereign God, he's constantly working again and again and again and again. And then I went to the psalm and the psalm reminded me that God picked me up from the pit and he places my feet on solid ground. And then I went over into Proverbs and I read a proverb a day. So I got to Proverbs uh, chapter, what are we, 16? And, and I was reminded that I make my plans, but God directs my steps. You understand when you open the Bible, God speaks to you. And that's how you live the spirit-led life. I would just ask you today, are you, are you, is your life being led by the spirit of God? And just go through a quick inventory at, at home. Is your home life being led by the spirit of God? Is your work life being led by the spirit of God? Is, is your education, is your school life being led by the spirit of God? Is your marriage being led by the spirit of God? Is your faith life being led by the spirit of God? I can tell you, I'll just be honest. For most people that gather together, even their faith life is not being led by the Spirit of God. Because you're, you're not giving generously, for example. Or you're not worshiping in spirit and truth. Or you're not obeying the command of Jesus, the Great Commission, to go and to tell others and make disciples. So you see, the Spirit of God should be so pervasive in our life that every area of our life is led by His Spirit. So, if, if I'm hearing the Word of God today... And I'm feeling some of that correction, even before the pastor gets to the end, I want to begin to say, God, I need to make some adjustments. There are areas of my life that are not being led by your spirit. When the spirit lives in us, we have a new focus. We're led by the spirit. Secondly, when the spirit lives in us, we have a new family. Aren't you thankful for the family of God? When I was growing up, we had Sunday night church. Sunday night church, after church, we'd gather around, we'd hold hands, and we'd spread out across the sanctuary, everybody holding hands, and we'd sing this. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And you'd look around, and you'd see that. But did you know in our church, it's even more exciting? Because uh, there's a lot of people in the family of God that don't look like me. For example, this morning, listen carefully, wake up. If you are here and you were not born in the United States of America, would you just stand up right now? If you're here and you were not born in the United States of America, can you hear me in the back? If you were here, Pastor Zach, and you're not born in the United States of America, would you please stand up? That's the family of God. Notice what it says in verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about by your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, one of the first things we see in this passage, I just have to address quickly, 
it becomes clear not everybody's a child of God. And that rocks some of your world because you got your theology from Oprah rather than the scriptures. We're not all a child of God. You become a child of God when you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The spirit of God indwells you and you become a child of God. John 1 verse 12 says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Everybody is part of God's creation. Everybody that's born has the image of God ingrained upon their DNA, the Imago Dei. But not everybody's a child of God. That's why it's so important, church, that we share the gospel with others. Because those in our little corner of the world that are not children of God are destined right now not to spend forever with God in heaven, but to spend eternity in a place called hell. That's a big deal. The other thing, though, I see when I read these verses is it it gives me a change in status, a big change. A a change that in our country some, some people experienced at a moment in history... He said, you're no longer slaves, but your children. Think about that. No longer slaves. What does that mean? If you're a slave, there's something that is lording over you. There's something that is mastering you. And what we've learned from Paul is that we were mastered by our sin. We were mastered by those decisions that we want to make. But we're no longer that way when we become a follower of Christ. We are part of the family of God. But most importantly, you see, it's a change in relationship. It literally speaks of adoption Listen to this in the Roman context of an adult son. There are a lot of great stories of adoption in our, fam- in, in our church family. But usually, they're not stories of adopting an adult son. But in the Roman context, that's what a person would do if, if they wanted to make sure their line was perpetuated to others. And in fact, the theologian F.F. Bruce, one of the great scholars of the New Testament, he said that in the first century, an adopted son was deliberately chosen by an adoptive father to perpetuate his name and inherit his estate. He was in no way inferior in a status to a son born in the ordinary course of nature, and they might enjoy the father's affection more fully and reproduce the father's character more worthily. So what Paul wants us to know is that God adopted us, which means he chose us. Do you understand that today? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God chose you. The first grade teacher was talking to her class and the word adoption came up and she wanted to make it a teachable moment. So she said, class, do you understand what adoption means? And little Susie raised her hand and said, I I do. And she said, okay, Susie, what does adoption mean? She said, well, I'm adopted. And, and, and my mommy told me that adoption means that I grew in her heart even though I didn't grow in her tummy. And I think about that theologically, and, and, and that is what adoption means, that, that God had such a love for us. The Bible says he demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and God chose us to come and to be a part of his family speaks of int- intimacy, 
That's why we have those words, Abba, Father. The Spirit of God gives me a chance to cry out and depend on my spiritual daddy that way. That's what that word Abba means. Our, our little girl is about to turn 10, but our four boys, I mean, they're, they're all men now. And sometimes I miss just hearing their little prepubescent voices say, Daddy. At least one of them, though, I'll call him on the phone, and he knows that. And every time I call, he just picks up the phone, and he says, Hey, Daddy. I love it. I hope it, I hope it never stops. Why? Because it, it's a term of affection and, and intimacy. Well, had Jesus ever used those terms? Yes. In fact, the two times where we have the prayers of Jesus recorded, he says this. You know one of them. In the model prayer, he begins by saying, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, when, when Jesus was heartbroken for the world, but also he was heartbroken over what he was going to experience, you know what he cried? Daddy, if it be your will, just... Don't make me go through this. Take this cup away from me. It's an intimate term. And the Holy Spirit of God gives you the ability to relate to him in that way. He's not some distant deity. You don't have to duck and cover when you come before God. You approach the throne of God with boldness because you know of his great love for you. The question is, have you been adopted into his family? Are you living as the child of a king? Okay, when the spirit lives in us, we have a new focus. When, when the spirit lives in us, we have a new family. And when the spirit lives in us, we have a new future. We're going to talk a lot more of this in the coming verses, but look at what it says beginning in verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So now if we're God's children, we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may share in his glory. Oh, what does this mean? Well, because of the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us, we can have assurance. Romans is going to speak to this more and we'll cover it more, but do you have assurance in your faith? God doesn't want his children to live doubting whether or not he loves them. As a parent, can you imagine that? Could you imagine wanting your children to wonder whether or not you love them? No, you want them to have no doubt about that. God feels the same way about you. He wants you to have the assurance. So the book of Ephesians tells us that we are redeemed by the blood of Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, and then the Holy Spirit of God seals us until the day of redemption. He lets you know that you're here. That's what it means in Romans 8 when it says he testifies, he witnesses that we are him. His spirit bears witness with our spirit. So that means when you begin that relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit indwelt you and said, yep, this is one of ours. He gives you that assurance. But secondly, he gives you abundance. Did you hear that phrase? Co-heirs with Christ? I mean, I mean, can you even begin to think about that? 
we have a faith that says at the core that we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. That's a big deal. That means that all God has to offer is available to you. Why don't we live that way, church? Why don't we live as if we really believe that we have the abundant life? That's why Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. That's why later when he talked about abiding in him, he said, when you abide in me, you don't just have fruit and and you just don't have more fruit. You've got much fruit. You're overflowing with fruit because I'm going to give you everything that I have. That's why Jesus said, why would a father not give everything he had? So you should ask and it'll be given to you. Knock and it'll be open to you. Seek and you'll find. Why don't we live that way? Because of the Spirit, we have assurance. We, we have abundance. But get this, church. We have a promise. And the promise is, is that this is not all there is. So we're about to get into a passage of the Scripture that reminds us that we're going to have suffering on this side of heaven. And it shouldn't be a surprise. Anybody who's told you otherwise is a liar Any preacher that's told you otherwise is a liar. Anybody that's told you if you just do these things or live this way, you're not going to have bad things happen to you, they're liars. How do I know that? Because Jesus said, in this world, you will have what? You're going to have trouble, but have no fear because I have overcome the world. And so here he says, you're going to fellowship with Christ in the sufferings, and then you're also going to fellowship with him in the glory. Aren't you thankful for the promise of heaven? Aren't you thankful that when this life gets overwhelming, you can remember that this life is not all there is? Yeah, I'll fly away one day. Oh, glory. Some of you know a little bit of our story, but let me close with kind of helping you understand how this fits together in a practical way. Several years ago, we had had a day in our church where we focused on James 127. This is pure and undefiled religion that you take care of the widows and the orphans. We, we came back into this room on Sunday evening and we partnered with one more child, the Florida Baptist Children's Home, and we had people talking about adoption and people talking about foster care and people talking about human trafficking and how we fought that and people talking about the pro-life movement. Man, it was a good day. It was a great day. As a pastor, that's the kind of day you went home and you thought, man, we did the right stuff today. And so I went home, and I'll never forget this. I, I turned to Kimberly, and kind of with some fear and trepidation, I said, hey, babe, wasn't that a great day? Yeah, it was a great day. I said, well, you know, I, I really asked people to really search within and say, is, is God calling you to do anything? I said, you, you know, I know we've got our four boys, and they're growing up, and, you know, we can see empty nests and through the binoculars. I mean, it's coming. Is God telling you anything? And literally, I think she said this. I think she said, nope, I'm good. And I was like, thank you, Lord. First. I mean, thank you, Jesus. I mean, yeah, me too. I said, I'm good. The next day, listen, the next day I got a call. It begins with a call. This adoption into the family of God, it begins with a call. You don't start it. He initiates it, Remember? He chooses us before we ever choose him. I, I got a call, and the person on the other end of the line said, Hey, Pastor, you, know, you think there's anybody in our church that would be open to foster care and adoption? And I'm like, 
what? Were you here yesterday? I mean, yeah, we, that's, that's the whole focus of yesterday. I, I got a list. Let me go over here to one of these offices and get a list. And then listen, if I'm lying, I'm dying. The Holy Spirit of God in me put a pause in me. And I interrupted myself. I said, second thought, give me 24 hours. Let me get back with you. That evening, I went home 24 hours later. And I said to my wife, hey, I got this call today. This was a situation you think that could be us? And she said, I think that's us. Listen to me. What started with a call was followed by a choice. So what God was calling us today to do, we then chose to come alongside him and get involved in. But that's not the end of the story, is it? <laughs> we made that choice, this precious little girl came into our home and guess what it has been a commitment I mean this is a big deal it's not easy this is a commitment and and that's the way it is for you and me when God calls you to be a part of his family you've got to decide what you're going to do a, a lot of you you've made the choice to follow after Christ Praise the Lord. The Holy Spirit indwelt you. Now, now you need to begin to follow through in the commitment to live led by the Spirit of God. Life in the Spirit of God. And that's what I'm praying for you today. But listen, some of you, the light came on in the last few minutes. God's calling you you know the truth. You know that you're a sinner separated from God, that Jesus loves you so much that he died for your sins, that he wants to have a relationship with you, that he's calling you. But you've never truly made the choice to accept him as your Lord and Savior. I believe this is the day of your salvation. Let's pray together. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, here's what I want you to do right now. Just make the adjustments you need to make before God. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God is indwelling you. So he's already telling you. And so some of you, maybe, I kind of doubt this, but maybe for some of you, he's saying, we're good. Everything's great. For most of us, we hear a message like this. And we see areas of our life where we need to be more led by the Spirit. Make those adjustments. Make those commitments to the Lord, even now. But if you're here and you've never begun a relationship with Christ, here's what I want to invite you to do. Would you respond to his call? Would you respond to what he is asking you to do today? Would you make a choice to follow after him? Here's how that works. You begin by just crying out to Jesus. And you don't even have, I don't have to pray for you. Jesus is your high priest. You can just tell him, I, I know I'm a sinner. I, I need to be saved. I'm, I'm going to repent. That means I'm going to stop doing things my way and I'm going to follow you. But maybe you need some help. This isn't a magic prayer, but if you just want a guideline, maybe you'd pray this. Just say, Jesus, just you and him, cry out. Say, Jesus, I know I need you. Just tell him, I know I need you. I know you love me, God. I hear you calling me. 
thank you for choosing me. Just tell him those things. Then tell him this. Say, I I believe you died for my sin, Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. And I believe you're alive today, Jesus. And you offer me forgiveness. Tell him that. You offer me forgiveness. So here I am. Just say, here I am. I repent of my sin. That means I'm turning from being in charge my way. And I'm going to begin to follow after you. Come into my life and take control. I tell him thank you. Say thank you, Lord. For a moment more, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. But if you just prayed that prayer, I want you to let someone know. So if you're watching online, you might just put that in the comments. But if you're here in this room, I I would encourage you right now, if you just prayed that prayer, maybe a prayer in your own words, would you just lift your hand right where you are? Just right where you're seated. Just lift it up and put it down. That's awesome. Welcome to God's family. Others of you, welcome to the family of God. That's the most important thing you could ever do. All right, I'm going to tell you in just a moment how you can... Let us know you made that decision, okay? So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you that we can, we can come into your presence and we can rest in you as your children. Holy Spirit, thank you for the way your power has moved even in this service. We have sensed your presence. You've answered our prayer. And so now as we end this time in your word, we continue to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name.